0: Uh, which comes to us from the first epistle of uh, the Apostle John, uh, chapter 3, verses 4 through 9. Again, as you're uh, turning there, again, it's 1 John, chapter 3, uh, verses 4 through 9. Again, let us come, let us hear the Word of our God. Beginning at verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he has been born of God. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as You have given us these words on this day, we pray through the power of Your Holy Spirit that You will not only apply these words under our hearts, but to God that You would grow us in our love for our Savior. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. One of the things that I'm sure most of us did with our grandfathers when we were young was uh, sit around and watch westerns. It just seemed to be, you know, something, well, some of y'all may have watched them with your fathers, uh, but, you know, just something, you know, was kind of big in that generation, you know, about watching Bonanza or watching, you know, various John Wayne movies or uh, things of that kind. And, and of course, one of the common themes in old westerns was uh, that you had these men who were lawless, these men who thought that they were bigger than the sheriff. Right? These men who thought that the Wild West uh, meant that there w- was no boundaries, that you could do whatever you wanted out there. And in some cases, it was probably true. Especially when you, if you've ever been out west, you know it's it's amazing again how expansive. You know, the, 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 the sunrise is, how, how much room there actually is out there. I remember as a kid driving uh, from Denver, Colorado, uh, to Salt Lake City, Utah. You know, and on the map, you know, it looks a fur piece. And it was a fur piece. And once you get on the other side of the Rockies, in the western part of Colorado, you know, there, there's literally nothing between Cannon City and Salt Lake. It's just this, this open desert with all of these mountains, all of these uh, you know, valleys, all of these places where you, know, you really get an appreciation for how easy it would have been to just kind of hide out and have no fear of the law man. Have no fear of the sheriff or of the U.S. government or anything of that nature. And what we see in our passage this morning is that the Apostle John is describing these kinds of people. These kinds of people who do not think the law applies to them. They they, they believe that they are free to act and do as they please. They have no fear that the government, or in this case, God Almighty, can either see what they do or has any power or authority over them. It's one of the reasons why the Apostle John will mention uh, the devil in this passage. Because that's really what the devil is trying to get across to everyone. That God is not who He says He is. That God is not someone who should be obeyed. That God... Word is useless. It's worthless. It has no bite, as it were. And so again, when, when Paul opens this passage, he says, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Again, what, one of the things that, Paul, that, that, that John is, is trying to get across to the people here is, is he's not talking about the basic transgressions of the law that we still commit, even though we have been saved by the blood of the Lamb. What he's talking about here, again, is this nature, this attitude, this idea of mind, uh, that, again, we are gods unto ourselves. That we are lawless. That we do not believe that there is anything that we should do outside of our own desires. And that's why again, John will say, Again, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. You see, this is an attitude problem. This is a submission problem. And those who are in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have been united to Him by faith, are righteous because Jesus is righteous. And because they are righteous, what is their attitude? What is their nature? Those who are in Christ desire righteousness. They love the law of God. They desire to be under the law of God. It's one of the things we sang about in the first Bible song that we sang. One of the things that differentiates those who claim that they love the Lord Jesus and those who actually do is how they understand the law of God. Men who claim to love Jesus, who claim to believe in Jesus but live as they please, Again, they're testifying something about themselves. Again, they're showing the world and they're showing the Lord Jesus that they are lawless. That they are untamed. That they're wild horses, as it were. They might have a brand on them. They might say they belong to somebody. But they show by their works that they belong unto the devil. They belong unto the father of lies. They belong unto this deceiver. Again, as he began the, uh, as we're introduced to Satan, of course, he begins his attempts uh, to deceive Eve by saying, "Of course, have God really sinned?" And of course, something that's important to remember in Genesis three is that Eve had already decided in her own heart, "Had God really sinned?" You know, Satan wasn't saying anything that she didn't already believe. Again, that, that's one of the things that, that's vital for us as we consider our own place in the kingdom of God. Again, are we lawless people? Again, do we see the law of God as a burden? Do we read the Ten Commandments and say, boy, you know, God, He's such a killjoy. He won't let me do what I want to do, but I guess I ought to listen at least outwardly. And is that our attitude to the law? Is that our attitude to the Word of God? When the Apostle Paul in Romans 8 has something to say about this mindset, he says in Romans 8 verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death. You can think about what Paul says there. Again, to be carnally minded is death. Again, what, what do you think he means here by being carnally minded? Well, you know, carnal, you know, is referring to the flesh. And when we think about the flesh being fleshly minded, what are you thinking about? Again, you're thinking about yourself. You're thinking about these things that are passing away. You know, this flesh was is being destroyed by sin. The, the flesh that, that is under the curse of God. But again, that's not all. Paul says here. He says in verse seven, "Because the carnal mind is enmity against God." And you think about that some more. Again, what does it mean to be an enmity against something? What well, it means to be at war against it, and to be thinking of the flesh, to be thinking of the self, to be thinking of your own desires, your own needs. Paul here makes very clear it means that you are an enemy. Of God, That you are in rebellion against God. And again, how does it show itself? Well, Paul says there in verse 7, For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. Because again, what's the attitude of those who are carnally minded? Those who are carnally minded love the flesh. They love the pleasures of the flesh. They love the world. And they love what the world can provide them. But again, Paul there, he doesn't doesn't leave us in that state. Again, what does he also remind us in this passage? Well, in verse 6 he said, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And think about that. This difference between being carnally minded and being spiritually minded. And to be carnally minded is death. To be carnally minded is to be in rebellion against God. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I'm mean, going think about, uh, again, what, 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 what is Paul saying here? Again, he's saying those who are in rebellion against God will always be gnashing their teeth. You know, that, that's one of the illustrations that Jesus uses in the Gospel. You, you think of that image of, of gnashing of teeth. You know, what do you think of? You think of an animal, you know, especially a rabid animal. Who is unable to control itself? Who is wanting to attack anything that comes near? Again, is an animal who is rabid, an animal who is in attack mode all the time? Is it either a safe thing to be around, or do you think that animal is in peace or in comfort or or in anything of the like? Well, again, the heart of those who are carnally minded is is like that gnashing of teeth, always. Uh, seeking out that which to destroy. And of course, we don't usually think of it in that way. But again, that's what the Scriptures are showing us. You, you think of this attitude, this, this attitude of always seeking the self, always seeking the pleasures of the flesh. Again, is that ever-ending? You can think of, of particular people in, in your life who are like this, who are always seeking after the pleasures of the flesh. Again, are they ever enough? And there's always something else, right? There's always something more that will bring peace. And of course, do these things ever do that? That's why they need more, right? And one of the you know, more interesting illustrations of this is with John Rockefeller, you know, the, the big Standard Oil guy back in the late 19th or 20th century. He was being interviewed one time and someone asked him, well, how will you know if you have enough money? And John Rockefeller responded, he said, well, there's always more to be made. There's always more to get. There's always more companies to buy. There's always more oil to be found. Again, that that restless spirit is part and parcel of what Paul means here by being carnally minded. Likewise, John in the passage there again says, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. Again this, this attitude, which is, again, not only never satisfied, but is always seeking more and more and more. And that's not a heart, as Paul says, that is, that is life and peace. One of the greatest fruits of Christian maturity is contentment. When you think of what, you know, of contentment, well, what does it mean to be content? I mean, It's one of those words that's hard to describe, right? You, know, you kind of only know it if you are. To be at peace, to be in contentment, You know, is, again, is a mindset. It's part of a nature. And what does John and what did Paul tell us? Again, where does this contentment, where does this spiritual mindness, where does this life and peace come from? And Paul there in verse 8 says, So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, He is not His. Of course, that's exactly what John has told us here. And you know that Jesus was manifested to take away our sins. And in Him there is no sin. And whoever abides in Him does not sin. And the idea here again is, is that we, if we have truly been united to Christ by faith, if we truly have been made new creatures in Jesus Christ, then not only will our attitudes, not only will our works, but our entire understanding of the world will change. And this is one of the dangers you know, of preaching a gospel that is only about the forgiveness of sins because if the gospel is just about washing the slate clean then it's not the full gospel what John and what Paul are saying here is is that salvation is more than just that salvation is about the entire person the entire individual again being wholly changed into a new creature Paul in Colossians 3 will say that we have a new identity in Christ. There is nothing, again, that is the same when we come to faith. And again, this is why John and Paul will both focus on the righteousness that we receive from Jesus. Because it's not just, again, our sins would have been washed away, but again, we have received this positive righteousness, these works that Christ has done in His obedience to the law. Because again, think of, uh, of Jesus' life. You know, we testify that not only was Jesus born of a virgin, uh, but that He lived a sinless life. And again, what does it mean to live a sinless life? Well, it means that He was obedient to the law in every jot and tittle. Even when Jesus was in the womb, He was obedient to God. He was obedient to Mary, even in the womb. Even when Jesus was a six-month-old baby, He was obedient and He followed the law of God. And we think about, well, what's the purpose of that? Well, again, it's not just so that He would be an unblemished sacrifice. It's because we need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We need His works on our behalf. And this is what John is making clear here. Again, uh, this, this attitude change, this, uh, this, this change from being carnally minded to being spiritually minded is part and parcel with what the new birth represents. And, and John goes to that at the end. He says, Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. You think about that for a second. And being born of God. Again, think back to the first birth. You know, the creation of Adam in the garden. And well, What happens there? Again, we know that God takes the dirt of the ground and He forms man in His image. But what else does God do there? We're told that He breathes life into Him. Right. He takes this man whom He has made and He breathes life into this creation. And without God, Adam is just a... Dirt pile. If God had stopped in His creation, all we would have is this this thing laying in the garden. But God breathed life into Him. And again, the same happens to us in the new birth. Again, think about Jesus' conversations with Nicodemus in John 3. That that, that whole talk of being born again. Again, what has to happen? Again, Nicodemus thinks, of course, right, he has to go back in his mother's womb and come back out. And that even if that was physiologically possible, what would that have done for Nicodemus? It would have been nothing for him, right? Because what would have changed about Nicodemus? He'd been the same man he was before being born again in a carnal manner. It was only by the work of the Holy Spirit, remember it says there, that blows when and where it wills. And that Holy Spirit does what? It breathes new life into that dead creature. And again, that dead creature is obviously not physically dead, but is spiritually dead. And that new life that we see breathed in that Jesus talks about in the new birth in John 3.16 and 3.17, again, what follows there? Again, the Gospel doesn't end in John 3.16. What we see there again is Jesus telling Nicodemus that His whole mind, His whole worldview, everything about Him is changing. And he has gone from being uh, this man who was seeking to be saved by obedience to the law by being obedient to Moses to being a man who understood uh, that he had his righteousness in the Lord Jesus and loving the fact that his righteousness came from the Lord Jesus and not from the works of the flesh. Because again, you think of the attitude of the Pharisees. What do the Pharisees exhibit over and over again? Again, they are are so concerned with the obedience to the law that they create new laws to follow. And they create laws upon laws. Not just because they thought their salvation was coming from that. Because they knew in their hearts that what they were doing was not enough. That there had to be more that God designed. Again, that's uh, kind of that's exactly what Paul has in mind in Romans 8. Again, that's being carnally minded. Again, again, thinking again that, that, that salvation is something that we either gin up or, or salvation is something that we do in order to earn the love of God. Again, that's a dangerous mindset. Because again, it shows that as the Pharisees did, they didn't understand what the Gospel was. They didn't understand what it meant. That the Messiah would come and be the sacrifice for sin. And John, as he continues to talk uh, uh, to these little children, he says, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Again, th- this is again the point of all this. Again, this practicing of righteousness. Well, what does it mean to practice righteousness? Well, what is practice practice is preparation for the game or for whatever. It's learning how to go about things so that you're ready when the time comes. When we we, we think about this practice of righteousness, well, again, we we think back to something that, uh, that, that David says in the 119th Psalm. Again, that psalm, which is just one long psalm talking about the blessings of the law of God. You hear David over and over again repeat a kind of a similar mantra where he's thanking God that He now lives in light of the law instead of in the light of Himself. What's that old children's song that we used to sing all the time? You know, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Well, for David, what is the light? The light is the work that God has done in his heart so that he can see not only the wisdom of God and His Word, but also that he might see the beauty of the law of God. Because again, there's great comfort in living in a lawful place. If you live in lawlessness, you have no idea what's coming day after day. You don't know if the marauders are going to come burn your house down or or if the brigands are going to come and steal your horses or, or, or whatever is going to happen. Again, you live in fear. You live in this uncertainty. Again, that's what it's like to be carnally minded. Again, you have no peace, no comfort, no hope in the future. And so you seek after these things that are falling away, these, uh, the, these material things that you're hoping will provide you with peace. You think about, you know, you've seen this t shirt everywhere about, you know, no Jesus, no peace, you know, no Jesus, no peace. And of course, the first two are N O, you know, no Jesus, you don't have any peace. And if you K N O W, Jesus, what do you have? You know, peace. And why do you know peace? Because it comes from Jesus. If we seek peace in our own selves, we seek peace in our hearts, we seek peace in the world, what has the world given us, does the Bible say? The world has given us tribulation. The Word has given us trial. The world gives us enmity against God. Again, everything that we see around us day to day is a perfect example of what Paul and John are talking about. You know, why are things so rapidly changing in the world? It's because we live in a lawless time. And again, it's not because you know, the, 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 the state police you know, abandoned their barracks and, and quit enforcing the law. You know, of course, that's not the lawless time we live in, but what have we seen grow and grow? We've seen men and women individually become lawless. They've thrown off the shackles of the Word of God. And of course, there's nothing more wicked about today than when we were growing up or when you were growing up. In in the sense of this lawlessness. But what we see, again, is is the way in which our culture is embracing that lawlessness. The way in which men and women no longer fear the consequences of that lawlessness. Again, the answer that we have in the Scriptures here in 1 John and in Romans 8 is is, is very quite simple. If we hope in our own day and age to see the lawlessness come to an end, well, what is the only hope that we have? The Psalms tell us quite clearly that we're not to put our trust in princes and in chariots. We're not to put our faith in the works of men. We're not to put our faith in, uh, in, in the uncertainties of processes. The only answer we have is the same answer that Peter gave to the man who was lame at the gate in Acts 2. Silver and gold I have not. But what, what, what did Peter have? Peter had the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think one of the weaknesses of the church today is we don't believe in the power of the Gospel. The church has seen fit to either water down the Gospel or to make excuses for the Gospel. But Again, what we see from John, what we see from Paul, what we see from our Lord Jesus Christ is this certainty that is alone found in the Gospel. That the only hope for sinners, the only hope for mankind, the only hope for any of us, is to be united to Christ by faith. To have this true new life within us. Again, John, again, as as he's talking to them, he says, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Again, whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. And he cannot sin, because he has been born of God. And so brothers and sisters, as we go from this place this morning... Again, as we think about what we have heard from Paul and from John, again, the challenge to each one of us is to really take stock of our hearts. Again, are we carnally minded? And are we putting the things of the flesh before the things of the Spirit? Again, is that a testimony that we see around us? That the world always comes first before the work of the Lord Jesus? Again, if we want to see our culture change, if we want to see our communities blessed, if we want to see all of these wonderful and good things happen, then this revival, this reformation, has to begin in our own hearts. It has to begin in our own homes. It has to begin in our own church. Again, is this true of us? And we hear in the book of Revelation the warning from the Lord Jesus Christ again about the church at Laodicea, which is neither hot nor cold. And We hear of the warnings to Ephesus who had forgotten its first love. Again, is that our primary focus? Is the Lord Jesus, the Gospel, the propagation of that Gospel to the world, but most especially that propagation of the Gospel to our own hearts? And that's the question we need to ask ourselves. Because again, we hear in the Word that God has given to us, this, that this blessing and this reality that is true for those who have placed their trust and their faith in the living Lord Jesus Christ. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And brothers and sisters, as we leave this place this morning, let that be the confession of our hearts. Let that be the confession of our souls. That we love the Lord Jesus Christ. That He is not only primary in our lives, but He is our peace. He is our comfort. He is the light of our life. He is the joy that moves us to rise in the morning. And the assurance that we have received by the promise of the Gospel is what moves us from day to day. For truly it is said of Christians that this is not our home. We are pilgrims on the way. We are seeking a better country. The heavenly cities which God has made for His people from the foundation of the world that we might dwell therein. Amen. Let us pray.